Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to week two of the How to Bet the Kentucky Derby podcast, and it is Kentucky Derby week. I'm going to come back to how it all started. Scott Shapiro will be my guest today to discuss how to bet the Kentucky Derby. We've had a week to uh, go over or learn ourselves how the horses are training, uh, generate some other opinions, some discussion. Uh, One of the hotter topics, uh, in addition to assessing uh, how horses look on the track, is also what historical trends uh, may or may not be important when handicapping the Derby. I have some that I feel very strongly about and definitely affect my opinions, uh, and others maybe not so much. Uh, And it's uh, good timing because our friends at Optics EQ uh, just released a video that looks back uh, at the plots from the last uh, nine derbies and some trends of where the horses land on the plot and how they perform in the derby itself. And I know Scott uh, is uh, a plot fan, as I am, so interested to get his take there. So without further ado, let's bring him on, talk some derby, hopefully make some money. Scott, how are you? Doing well, Ed. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, got a Coke Zero before the show started. I know you have a uh, caffeine beverage of choice as well, and uh, you said the under is looking pretty good right now. The under for cups of coffee is what Ed's referring to. It's looking good early. I got a lot more work done over the weekend for this week than I thought, but I have a feeling the uh, over still has a big shot once Wednesday kicks in. So, uh, you know, it's up in the air, but a good start for under players. Good. Well, I took the under, which uh, is probably stupid since it's a bet against the guy who actually drinks the coffee, but I know you're a stand-up guy and wouldn't do me that way. Uh, Well, there's a lot of work to be done in addition to the daily selections you provide at Brisnet for Santa Anita and Indiana Grand. Uh, Of course, going to be doing some sheets for the Oaks and Derby, Uh, all that handicapping stuff at brisnet.com slash derby. We're going to talk to Pete Dank uh, tomorrow. Uh, he's part of the THT team that does the patterns and motion analysis. Uh, but really, Scott, as I said in the description, uh, the, the last uh, major piece of information left is, is the post position. Uh, we're at the point now where we're pretty much familiar with, with all these horses and what we need to know going into the Derby. Would you agree? Yeah, I think we should be, you know, maybe, you know, following the way horses are galloping and how they are acting at Churchill uh, over the next couple of days can be of some importance. But as I mentioned before, I, I try to block out a lot of that noise. Most of the handicapping is done outside from, for me, at least from out, outside of seeing, you know, how the race will, sh- you know, shape up based on the post positions. If a horse, certain number of horses draw inside or outside, it could definitely impact the, uh, the pace scenario of the race. So that's kind of the last piece of the puzzle for me then getting some final thoughts from a few people I respect that are on site will maybe tighten things up, but I agree. Yeah, the uh, you know at this point for me with the the gallops and such, I mean it, it's an extreme situation and probably more on the negative side than it would be positive. Uh, you know, obviously with the final works, if someone's just showing something that that's you know, a Bruno or a Gary Young just think look is an absolute disaster, then that's gonna be hard to ignore. But otherwise, you know, I'm I'm with you. We sort of know what we know and it's time to actually make some decisions. Uh any any uh changes from since we last talked and when we did talk on that first episode we really didn't get much into who we like in the handy 
capping of the race itself much, but uh, now that we're a week away from that, is, has anything changed for you? Uh, do, do you mind sharing the horse? I know you, you're a little higher on than maybe you were two weeks ago. Yeah, a couple things changed before I get into that horse. Obviously, we, we kind of learned a little bit about Gervin's issues, uh, I think, on that Monday or, when, or Tuesday, whatever it was that we talked last week. I think that, uh, you know, nothing has changed. Nothing has happened positively enough for me to change my mind on Gervin, who has been downgraded for me. And then the horse that you speak of that I just continue to, to bump up the list of, of my probable uses in the Derby is Hence. Um, at first, I was, you know, a little bit against the idea of using the key race as the Sunland Derby. I'm not necessarily sure that's why I like the horse while others will. But I really like the way he's coming into the race. I love that race. I don't think he's as pace dependent as some others might think. I think he can sit mid-pack. And it just seems like everything is going positively for Asmussen and, and, and Hent as we head closer into the race. He just has the, the feel of a horse that is uh, sitting on maybe a, a career best or um, if not very close to you, at least being able to, to pair that last effort at Sunland. Yeah, the, the, the pairing, uh, you know, to me, puts him right in the mix, absolutely. Uh, and looking at, at the sheets, definitely more so than the, the Brisnet number, which um, is a little more averaged out when looking at a horse like Always Dreaming or IRAP. But, you know, they got gaudy numbers, and to me, uh, you know, it's, it's not a matter of, oh, hence is more likely than Always Dreaming. I just see 15 to one versus six to one in a horse everyone's going to use and Pletcher and the Florida Derby and all these, you know, things that take money and think why, why would I want that price when a horse with sort of a similar pattern is going to be a lot higher. Yeah. And to me, maybe, maybe I'm alone in this or maybe everyone does not agree, but to me, always dreaming just has the look of a horse that's either going to win this thing by two or three, and it's just an extremely talented horse and more talented than this field. Or I could see this horse being too amped up and has had trouble relaxing and just not really not being a being maybe a factor early, but not late and not hitting the board at all or anywhere near it. So, you know, I'll, I'll probably I know we discussed it off the air here, uh, using always dreaming along with some price options that we'll be using underneath. Um, in, in the trifecta or maybe the superfecta. But um, I agree with you. The value is there. And, and I think that Hens is just as likely to win and probably more likely to run third, as, as crazy as that may sound. Uh, no, I, I totally get that. And I think some people may have said the same about a stablemate last year, Gunrunner, who you know, certainly had some talent, but maybe others were peaking at the right time as three-year-olds. So, uh, that makes sense. Uh, you know, you and I are both sort of in the we know who to trust. Uh, we don't listen to everybody camp when it comes to the morning stuff. The always dreaming, though, is, is really interesting to me. And to me, like once Tom Pletcher made a change, that tells me that he – like why would you think that he's getting what the trainer wants out of his works if he's making an adjustment not only with the exercise rider but also the equipment in the morning and you know you mentioned Gervin as well Gervin as well and you know that's maybe a little more extreme but the wisdom's the same you can't miss training going into the derby you can't have hiccups now swimming away from your barn is you know magnitude greater than tugging on your rider but to me, if Todd Pletcher is 
derby week having to switch exercise riders and change equipment to settle his horse, that's not a good sign at six to one. I totally agree. I've all I've already was leery on this horse on paper, wondering if he could get back to that Florida Derby effort that was obviously very impressive. But the lack of relaxing uh, several times in the morning, and then now the equipment change. Like you said, I care most what Todd Pletcher thinks, whether he's one for 45 or eight for 45 in the Kentucky Derby. He's a world class trainer, and if he was completely comfortable with the way Always Dreaming was going. There's no way you'd make a change. It's it's similar to right. you know, similar to the practical joke thing. Although you know Chad Brown has these good numbers with blinkers on, and it didn't change it in the middle of you know while the works were going on before the Derby. But it just makes me think that they're hoping to get something that they haven't gotten yet, or change something that they don't like right now. Yeah, and well, and with practical joke, uh, that's sort of along the same lines, and I know that's a horse you, you and I disagree on, but you know, it's nevertheless, still more palatable at fourteen to one than six on a horse who a lot of people are using and even picking on top. So that that, that sounds like we're similar and always dreaming, though. And you know, I'm, I put a, a tweet out, sort of joking. You know, I have Classic Empire on top, Irish War Cry second. Certainly not a big limb in a year. A lot of people say is open, two of the top four betting choices for sure, and probably the favorite. So you put your list out, and I have always dreaming in the Kraken pretty far down. And then so people rib you for having chalk on top, but then, you know, why don't you have always dreaming higher up or McCracken? And it's like, well, it can't be both. Either I'm going to pick the four logical horses or I need to take a shot somewhere, and those are the two I'm taking a shot against. I just don't understand why – you know, people don't understand with the Derby, you can't, well, you can't pick chalk. It came in last year, but if I'm putting two, three hundred dollars into the race, I feel like I lost if I get back 200. I mean, that, that to me is not why I'm playing the Derby. Yeah. It's a unique race in terms of the way I uh, gamble on it. I'm not looking to double my money even nothing, or, you know, you said 200. I'm not looking, like you said, I, I'm, I'm looking at, for a big score if I'm playing trifectas and superfectas. There's not many opportunities throughout the year where you get, you know, anything near, let alone a 20-horse field, obviously. And then there's just, to me, I know the favorites have done well lately, but there's so much uncertainty when horses are going the mile and a quarter for the first time at this age that it's hard for me to get behind more than one or two of the logicals uh, as being keys or in my top four. I, I did the same thing as you when I had to post the top ten uh, earlier this morning. You know, to, to pick always dreaming – Below the top five might be going over the top, but, you know, you have to take stands somewhere. And they, they doubtfully, you know, a couple of these horses are going to try to win the race, which is going to prohibit them probably from finishing fourth or fifth. There'll be other horses that really don't take that, you know, they all want to win the race. But when I say try to win the race, make a move at one point in the race towards the leaders, well, you know, others will, will, will use the term suck up, but they'll just pick up the pieces and pass hiring horses and it could lead to a third or fourth place effort. Yep, agreed. And, you know, to me, uh, it's a great thing because after the workout on Sunday, which Gary Young hated, not that anyone was looking to love fast and accurate, but uh, the connection said he's going for the lead. That's what we're doing. And, you know, they, they figure that's their best chance of winning, and I can't argue but to me, that completely eliminates him from any chance of, of hitting the board. Uh, 
you know, Scully said at, at a seminar we did he was going to use all the fast and accurate in, you know, the fourth spot in the super. And I kind of was like, eh, do you really want to have that opinion and be the one to, to beat you? But, you know, now with that being the strategy, I, I don't see how a horse of his talent numbers hangs on for fourth if he goes for the lead. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I guess maybe to me, I would think there's a better chance of him hanging around for fourth if he's first at one point than if he tries to relax and sit fifth. Uh, then I just see him being the first under a ride. I, I, I don't see either scenario, you know, for the record occurring. But at least maybe he gets off and, you know, 47 and change and only a few horses run their races like we saw two years ago when only American Pharaoh firing line and Dortmund really were competitive in the lane, and Frosted was the only thing to come from the back. Maybe you could run into a scenario like that. But that being said, fast and accurate is obviously quite a long shot. It'll be interesting to see how, you know, knowing what, what their strategy is, where this horse draws in relation to other horses that are going to be prominently placed early, because that'll have a lot to say with how the pace uh, dynamics of the race shake out. If one of the other potential speed horses draws the 20 or the, the rail, and he's already committing to the lead from, say, the middle of the middle of the pack, 10, 11, 7, 8, regardless, whatever it might be, that'll really, that could heat things up. But if for some reason he draws the rail, then you probably have another, you know, a number of, of riders and, and connections thinking, all right, we're just going to track, and that could really slow down the pace. Yeah, good point about, uh, and to me that sort of was in play in the Florida Derby with three rules who, you know, he set the pace and it was not slow by any means, but he was out there alone and the logical contenders tracked with Gunnavera just way, way too far out of it. Uh, and that's definitely something I'm thinking about with this Derby, uh, Gunnavera, McCracken, uh, Sonneteers getting some buzz, uh, looking at Lee. And like you said, to me, those definitely are more the, the, the clunk up types. They'll be running late than, you know, can they win? Can they be in the hunt at the eighth pole, which is absolutely what it takes to win the Derby, and I'm not so sure. Uh, one pace thing I know you and I both look at, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where fast and accurate fits and maybe give us uh, a sense of how we might affect the pace, but is the optics plots, which FirstNet is uh, officially uh, now their data provider, so I'm happy about that. I'm looking forward to working with them. But one of our first projects was getting them the historical derby data. Uh, I encourage everyone to uh, check out the video that John Doyle did with the optics team. And uh, I thought that was some, some great information and uh, pretty clear the, the trends of what types of styles and talent it takes to hit the top four. And uh, I especially liked it because this year my top two choices look pretty good on the plot. But what did you gather from, from that information? I didn't get a chance to look at the historical data that you said or that they put together. Um, I know kind of the general idea, but I'm looking at the, the plot right now and it looks really, you know, obviously this is before the post positions are drawn, but it looks pretty jumbled up there. Um, I know you were speaking to Irish war cry and classic empires positioning, right? Um, and Irish war cry, yeah. looked, cry looked, looked wonderful on the plot before that wood memorial and, and ran to it. And he, he's in a good spot again. I know that um, John has stressed to me 
the importance of you know being a square in quadrant one, not to get too detailed about optics for those that aren't familiar with it, but he's in that position and classic empire is a smaller square in that position. So both of them shape up good. Um, I know Nyquist was in that position last year and I'm, I think American Pharaoh was, was a square. I forget if he was in quadrant one or three. Um, but anyway, I'm, I look forward to taking, taking a look at the historical data because I think that the, the last couple derbies are, I don't want to say outliers because they've, they've been, you know, obviously they've been the opposite of outliers because in, in many ways because the probable horses have won. But I think this year is a lot more traditional in it being wide open being a little bit mysterious on who's, you know, how many horses are going to try for the lead. You know, you, there's always horses that we expect to try for the lead that never get a call on a derby. That 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 happens every year, and it's always interesting to see which of those horses uh, fit into that. Yeah, American Pharaoh. Actually, uh, when you look at the the plot, um, I feel I feel foolish and wish that uh, tool were around two years ago because I probably would have skewed every type of wager that day and just bet him to bet him across the board because uh it, it wasn't quite california chrome in that los alamitos race but uh, <laughs> man at, at the price he was tough to ignore for sure uh but historically speaking the derby is interesting because it's the most talked about race people actually keep records uh the mainstream media is aware of those records uh, but at the same time, it's actually a pretty small sample size when you think about it. Uh, you know, you'll hear people say uh, 10 years, and that sounds like a long time, but of course that's only 10 races. Uh, but there are some historical trends that I'm a believer in, and I want you to rank these. Uh, wh- which do you find that you do bet against or is the biggest influence on you and which is the least? And I'll give you my three that are total widow makers for me in terms of picking a horse on top or using them strongly. Last prep in Dubai, didn't race as a two-year-old, and the one-hole. I would say the one-hole to me is the most significant. I don't have the stats prevalent, but it's going to take a super horse to to overcome that. Um, the last prep in Dubai to me has proven uh, to be a non-winning strategy as well. And then I know that you are a big fan of the of the Apollo theory. Is that what the last one was? Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. I call it the I, Apollo curse, though. Apollo curse, okay. Um, to me, that would be the least important, but it's hard to argue with the sample size that is involved with that compared to the last prep in Dubai. So to me, the one hole would be the most important. I would say the last prep in Dubai to me would be second, and 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 I would you know to me that curse is is going to get broken sometimes. All right, uh, I wish I would. I, I have a bet with someone, uh, and it seems so long ago, but I think it was 2018. Uh, he said it would get broken by then, so uh, he's down to this year and next, and uh, I believe Patch is the only horse left from this year. Malagasy was another. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I just feel like the, the Derby with the foundation and, uh, what's needed. It's just such a rapid ascent if you hadn't raced as a two-year-old and it's a, that's, I feel similarly about Dubai. Um, typically those horses have raced it too, but, uh, to me running over there, 
then flying to America, and then having to run in the Derby. I'm not a big Dubai bounce guy. I think if you have enough time off and you get reacclimated and you're working uh, steadily, all that good stuff, you can run your race. We saw Curlin do it. We've seen plenty of others do it. But the Derby six weeks. It's not two months. It's not three months. So uh, that's where the difference is. I actually feel like from the one hole, the right type of setup for the race and running style um, you know, you can maybe get away with being there, but uh, you know, th- this year for sure, even Classic Empire, I'd I'd be sick if he got the one. When was the last time the rail had success or won? I, out of curiosity, I I don't have that information in front of me. I think it was uh, Ferdinand in 1986. Uh, so I mean, really not that long ago. And Derek Simon uh, is a fan of pointing out that actually it's. You know, if you look at impact value of the rail, uh, it's actually one of the better post positions, if not the best. Uh, but, you know, his num- he uses numbers as far back as he can go. Uh, and the race has had four horses in the past. It's had five. It's had ten. It's had twelve. I do believe the rail is winless anytime the auxiliary gate comes into play. So, you know, to me... It, it's exponentially bad. Is the rail terrible if it's a 10-horse derby? Of course not. But when you start talking about 15, 16, 20 horses squeezing you down in there, uh, it gets exponentially worse. So for a full field, like I said, I, I'd be sick if a horse I want to run well is in the one. Yeah, that, that's my that's my feeling as well. And Fernand was obviously a great horse that could overcome it, so that's a big part of that. But, yeah, to me, if it was a 14-horse field, I would rank it probably at the bottom, but 20 horses, you're just asking. Everything needs to go perfectly from any post in this race, let alone from down there. Yeah, well, that always is a a point of drama for the draw. I mean, to to me, the one, the 20 is not great, depending on your running style. I wouldn't say that anyone's hoping for the 20, unless you're Rick Dutrow and have Big Brown against that bunch, but... uh, the one to me is just a, another level of bad. Yeah, no doubt. It's just the, the dirt, the, the the young horse, the inside, the likely dirt kicked in their face. It, it just, it's just asking for a lot of trouble, but I, I can certainly see your side of the argument because at least you're in the, the race, you know, with, with the right foundation, whereas the other two, the last prep in Dubai and the Apollo curse, are things that, you know, affect your ability to be at 100% coming into the race, which, which can easily, you can easily make the argument trumps no matter what any post position you're going to get. Right. Yep. And that's, that's pretty much my argument, I'd say for sure. Uh, well, we have uh, five days left, uh, really less than that from a handicapping and writing about it standpoint. Uh, any, uh, I want to say final thoughts, but I guess final thoughts for you on this podcast uh, in terms of suggestions for, for players on an approach to this derby for wagering? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm at the point where I'm trying to, to narrow down the, the key horses, if you will, it's in a 20-horse field that's run once a year. I don't think you need to keep just one horse. I think you're of the same mindset. I think you can you can play the race keying two or three horses if you as long as you're not, you know, in the desire of spending a fortune or using all in any of the uh, in any of the trifectas or superfectas, I, I won't be using all. I, I can't imagine, um, although I haven't finalized anything. So I'm looking at using one favorite, one medium horse, and then probably two long shot horses as somewhat of key horses, if you will. Out of the favorites, I'm really uh, looking at a classic empire. 
you know, I'm not so sure, you know, with all the, the 21 day rest and him having some hiccups over the way that he's going to win the race. I just see him the most likely horse in the field to hit the board. I think he's going to run well. I think Cassie is, has done a great job to get him to where he's at, given the hiccups. So he's the, he's the favorite I'm looking at. As we mentioned before, I think Hence is kind of that middle tier horse that I'll be keying in on. And, and one of my wagers for sure uh, in the trifecta will be using him in, in the first and second slot, if not maybe the third with a lot of my other key horses. And then in terms of a couple of price options, you know, when we said price, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, really big prices. Um, I'm giving a, you know, a look to a couple horses. I'm giving a look to Patch. I think he's going to run well. I don't think he's good enough to win the race, but I think he's kind of running, going under the radar. And, it, you know, 40 or 50 to 1, it seems like he might be. I, I'm going to use him underneath. You mentioned Sonneteer. It's a horse I've, you know, followed out here. Disappointed in terms of getting to the wire first, but he's he's doing well. I don't think Keith DeSormo would push, push him into the race if he didn't think he was ready for a career best. And I can easily see the DeSormo brothers, uh, you know, with this horse running on big late. And then the third one is just a horse that I've been a fan of for a long time. I don't love the numbers in terms of him, uh, but I do think he's ready to move forward, whether it be this race or whether it be like maybe in the Belmont. But I do think Battle of Midway has much more than we've seen in him. So those are three long shots that I'm going to use. And, you know, if you're looking for low risk, high reward, maybe you can bet one of those across the board. Yeah, to me, the um, speaking of hence, the biggest struggle I'm having now is, um, you know, with him training so well and sort of moving up, sort of with that, his odds drop, uh, does he, do I elevate him to a level of a classic empire and Irish war cry? and, you know, give myself a, you know, 15 to 1A, or do I drop others and just sort of make him a solid B, so to speak? It's basically how strongly to to key him, um, you know, the approach there. But he looks good, and, you know, from a home team perspective, uh, that last out top rating on Brisnet would uh, certainly be nice, especially after the buyer folks upgraded the, the Sunland Derby long after it had been run. So, He's definitely the, the house horse uh, in my mind for that reason. Yeah, there's a lot of things to like. The other horse in that in that you know area in terms of price that I really uh, keep coming back to is Taprit. Um, I know Jose Ortiz might not be riding in his best of late, and Pletcher has the poor numbers, but I think he not only regressed off that really impressive Tampa Bay Derby effort, but I don't think they really cranked this horse at all in the bluegrass. And if everybody has these bluegrass numbers so high you know he's the horse out of there that i think is the best even though he didn't run the best you know the mccracken works are great and i won't be one bit surprised if he runs well i just think he's more of an underneath horse in this kind of race i know you're not you know you're not going to have much invested in him but but it's interesting i mean i you know it's tough to narrow down past a lot of these horses um but you got to take stands right absolutely yeah and and with mccracken i mean i'm expect to blow up if he wins and people taking their shots and oh you you know didn't <laughs> like him and didn't say he could win there to me there's just not enough there separating him from even looking at Lee or Sonneteer to take him as one of the top four choices when I like two of those other top four so much now you know I, I've said this throughout 
uh, and I encourage everyone to think about this too when they make their bets, if, if, if McCracken wins and hence and Taprit, another horse I do like, are second and third, there's no reason I should be ripping up tickets. He's a possible winner, and, you know, I'm getting two good prices underneath. But for me, if it comes Classic Empire and McCracken, I'm just going to have to be happy with the win money on Classic Empire because I'd much rather take other shots filling in the exotics and really going for a big score than, you know, basically hedging at that point just not to lose what I'm betting. Um, you know, I'm going for it. I agree. That That's game for your gambling. And to me, this is one race. Other people don't agree with this, but I don't expect to, nor am I really, you know, I'm trying to pick the winner each year, but I really am, am more looking at it in terms of gambling from getting, uh, so for looking for that big score once or twice a decade. And obviously that's hurt me so far uh, this decade. You know, there's been a lot of a formful, formful outcomes. I didn't have commanding curve underneath Chrome and I didn't love Chrome. And the last couple of years have been tough to come up with if you're playing by the strategy that, that you have. But just remember, you only have to hit once, maybe twice a decade to really be profitable. Yeah, and you you have to hit. And uh, the pause there is because we got the 60-second warning, or at least I did. I think I'm the only one who can hear it. But, uh, yeah, uh, reeling it in uh, gets get you flush for a while as James Scully knows from hitting the super in 2013. Uh, and, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's not always within reach. I started this podcast. We started it last week. And I mentioned, you know, I'm definitely more a multi-race player. Uh, but when you think you have a hold on a race and your opinion is worth betting, uh, go for it. And that's what I'm doing here. It's, it's pretty rare I plan to attack the super and the derby like this. But uh, I, I just feel like, you know, if I'm right about who – who can run well and write about who doesn't, there's an opportunity. Couldn't agree more. Not, not my normal strategy either, but I'll certainly be involved in the trifecta pools and, and maybe even dabble in the supers. Yep. All right. Well, we'll uh, leave it with our agreement for once and take the disagreement to Twitter over uh, Hall of Fame worthiness of jockeys. Uh, <laughs> not in IRAP's corner, but I can tell you if he wins, I'll certainly be backing Mario for the Hall of Fame next year. That'll be one of us on this podcast. <laughs> Very good. All right, Scott, really appreciate it. Good info as always. And uh, you can get Scott's Oaks and Derby selections at brisnet.com slash derby, along with plenty of other good information, including uh, the THT Patterns of Motion Analysis Report. And we will talk to Pete Dank of THT Bloodstock on Tuesday's podcast. Then we'll have James. And on Wednesday and Danny Zucker on Thursday actually start to make some picks as we get inside one week. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's been Episode 6. We'll talk to you tomorrow.